welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello. This week, starting the 4th of July, is Sleep Awareness Week in Australia. If you have a child who snores or know someone who does, please make sure you check out episode 21 on sleep apnea in kids. Also, the Sleep Health Foundation is setting a challenge for people to try to get adequate sleep this week and see how much better they feel. If you don't have kids waking you every few hours yet, please do make the most of the opportunity to sleep well. Today we're learning about the adjustment to parenting. I remember when I was first pregnant, my friend who had a one-year-old at the time said, I wish I'd spent less time reading up on pregnancy and more time preparing for life with a baby. I remember wanting to learn more about having a child, but I didn't know where to start and couldn't fathom what a massive life changer would be. Well, if I were back there again, I'd read Becoming Mum, which you heard about in a previous podcast, and I'd attend the workshop we'll be learning about today. I was going to have two guests today, but unfortunately Erla had to stay home with sick kids. I've also got to apologise, you might be able to hear in my voice that I'm not perfectly well either. So I'm talking with Laura Alfred, who's a clinical psychologist with 16 years experience and a particular interest in the parent-child relationship and the importance of the early years. She's running this workshop with Erla. Erla Marks Newhouse, who unfortunately couldn't make it today, is an individual couple and family therapist and an accredited mental health worker and accredited non-directive perinatal counsellor. Together, Erla and Laura are running a Parenting for Beginners workshop in Crow's Nest, Sydney, on Saturday the 6th of August 2016. You can find out more about it at www.parentingforbeginners.com.au. And keep listening as we find out more in this interview. Here it is. Thank you so much for coming in again. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties the first time. That's fine. It's a pleasure to be here again. Awesome. Wonderful to have you here. Um, So tell me a bit about the lead up to this event. So why did you decide to run a workshop for parents-to-be? Okay. Well, Erla and I met when our boys started preschool about five years ago. And we realized that we had a lot in common. We were both born in South Africa. We were newish mums of boys and therapists with a particular interest and passion about parenting, particularly the emotional aspects of the parent, um, that the parent faced and the emotional well-being of the child. And we had many cups of tea sharing our insights and thoughts about the adjustment to parenthood and mostly about the emotional well-being of the baby and the mum and, of course, dad. And it was reassuring for us to meet someone who was like-minded. So we spent a lot of time discussing our work and realized that the issues that our clients bring were very illustrative of the lives of new parents. New mums or couples present with a range of issues, including depression and anxiety, being overwhelmed by the demands of being a new parent, distance or conflict in the couple, or difficulties in the relationship with parents or with in-laws. And at the beginning of the year, we decided it was time to stop talking and put our action into our, put our um, ideas into action and address the gap that we see exists for new parents. And we also wanted to do some work that focused on prevention. We really mm-hmm. wanted to see um, parents before things started to go wrong. And we thought that we could preempt some of the difficulties by offering a workshop for expectant parents. 
That's great. Yeah, I think that's so important, offering prevention. Um, and it is such a huge life change and it, it's a major adjustment. For it a is lot a of major adjustment. I think that's true. And I think, um, you know, couples might struggle really to see the value of doing something beforehand mm. or might even be a bit afraid and think we'll just work it out. And of course, there's a lot of working it out as mm. they go along. But I think if some of these issues can be thought about beforehand, it can prevent um, difficulties, and I think it can also just make the whole experience far more joyful and positive. Mm, yeah, I agree. I I remember at that stage in my life wanting to know more and trying to start discussions with, with my husband all the time, but I wouldn't know what to talk about. Mm. I, I, I wanted to talk and prepare better, but I just didn't know what yeah. questions to ask. Yeah. And so I think a workshop like this would be really valuable for knowing what questions to talk about. So I often hear comments about babies like, thankfully he won't remember this. So given that the first two, possibly three years are often forgotten for the most part, what makes them so important? It's true that the baby doesn't remember um, but increasingly, there's a whole field of study that's showing that those years are very important. Therapists and good enough parents have actually known this for decades. They, you know, mm. therapists have realized in their work and parents have kind of intuited this. But now there's this whole field of study called interpersonal neurobiology. And what it's proving is that the way in which the brain develops in the first few years of life is crucial in determining later emotional and social ability. And your listeners who are particularly interested can read more about this in a wonderful book called Why Love Matters, How Affection Shapes a Baby's Brain by Sue Gerrard. So an infant's brain is very immature, and in the first few years of life, the brain is very plastic. In other words, it's malleable. And this is why the experiences that occur in these years literally shape the brain in terms of its structure and its level of neurochemicals. And it's because of the way in which these experiences shape the brain that they have an effect later on. We know, for example, that babies who are raised in institutions and who don't form adequate attachments to a caregiver can have all sorts of learning and interpersonal challenges later on in life. And research is also showing that the attachment patterns that babies and small children form early on get carried through life, which is why it's important to think about parenting practices that facilitate good attachment. I should say here that um, there's been quite a focus on attachment and um, parents can get quite anxious about doing the right thing and doing all these things that need to promote attachment. It's actually a process that happens quite naturally mm. when the parents are able to be attuned to the baby. Um, so one doesn't need to be too anxious about getting attachment right. But one needs to think about things that might be stumbling blocks to getting that attachment right. Mm. And what that would be is things that would get in the way of the parent being mindful about what the baby needs mm. and meeting their own needs and those of the couple as the baby grows. Mm. So if parents can trust themselves and enjoy the process of parenting, even though it can be really hard at times, they'll then be able to give their child positive messages, such as you're loved, you delight me, you're responded to when you're distressed. 
but they can also be shown that the, the distress doesn't need to be overwhelming, mm-hmm. that the baby can feel overwhelmed by that distress, but that the parent isn't overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. So the parent gives the message that the world's safe and exciting. And then all these messages get stored in the baby's brain as a sort of blueprint for what the child might expect from the people around him or her and the world later on. Um, so that's a, b- a bit about why the early years are mm. so important and then the kind of things that we'll be speaking about in the workshop in terms of what one can facilitate in that early relationship. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's sort of shaping almost what the child expects from the world in the future. Very much so. Yeah. Very so much whether so. it's a safe or, or a scary place yes. and whether there's people they can rely on or they or they can't trust. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually happening sort of neurochemically. Mm. Um, you know, high, le- high stress in those early years will raise levels of cortisol and then mm. they'll always be raised. So, mm. you know, that person is far more likely to have a stress response than somebody who didn't get that kind of bad ex- set of experiences mm. when they were little. Yeah, right. Yeah, so important. It's. I think it's also important to highlight the difference between attachment that we talk about as psychologists and the mainstream term or the common usage term of attachment, which is more talking about baby wearing, co-sleeping, all that sort of thing, which of course are activities that would help attachment. That's correct. You know, those are all activities that promote attachment, Mm. but one doesn't have to do all those activities to get a good attachment going. Yeah, so you don't have to be a strictly attachment parent to get a secure attachment. Absolutely. I think that's right. Yeah. So on your brochure, um, you say don't just make up your parenting approach as you go along. Just interested, are you advocating for a particular parenting approach? We're not advocating a particular approach, um, but what we want to do before we go on to suggest some things to parents, which basically focus on being able to listen to the baby and trust Mm. themselves, Mm. what we hope to impart is a framework for understanding the different kind of approaches that exist. Because there is an enormous amount of literature out there, there's a lot in the media, and also people will be telling new parents a lot. Mm. And I think it can get very confusing and one can, you know, one can say, you know, which approach should I follow? What should I do? Mm. So the way in which we've conceptualized it is that one can think of a continuum in terms of either how baby led or how parent led the parenting style is going to be. Mm. So if one thinks about being totally baby led, that is an attachment parenting approach. Mm which favors following the baby's lead, breastfeeding, baby wearing, co-sleeping, all these practices which are aimed at promoting good attachment and making the baby feel as safe as possible. And then at the other end, you'd get approaches such as that of Gina Ford, um, which advocate a very strict feeding and sleeping routine mm. and which don't necessarily advocate or even criticizes the other practices like um, baby wearing. Mm. Now, some of your listeners might have watched the British um, Bringing Up Baby series, and they'll recognize the continuum concept at the one end, 
and then Claire Verity's use of the Truby King approach at the other. Truby King um, was someone who wrote a book in the 50s, which was very um, routine-based. Mm. And um, Claire Verity's approach is very much show the baby who's boss. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm saying it's parent-led. The parent sets the pace and the rules. Yeah. And then in that series, there's a middle ground approach, and that emphasizes that babies can't be spoiled too much by love, but encourage the mother and um, the father to work out what is best for their unique baby, mm. for the baby and then for themselves and for their family. Now, it is interesting to me that the fact that such a series exists and that the experts who um, I think are experts in their field, but they're in such disagreement, mm. it's very telling. And I think it's very potentially confusing and mm. anxiety-provoking for parents to be. And parents need to find their own way. Mm. So... You can think about it in those terms, baby-led or parent-led, but then mm. also know that each approach has their own advantages and disadvantages. For example, parents who totally baby-led may give so much of themselves that they become depleted and start resenting the baby. And also, babies need to be able to tolerate tiny bits of frustration, and as they grow, a little bit more and a little bit more, so that they do learn to soothe themselves, and they're not totally reliant on the parents to soothe them. And then, at the other end of, you know, the parent-led approach, parents who try very rigidly to fit the baby into their routine and to encourage independence prematurely run the risk of contributing towards a lack of security and trust in their child. Mm. Because at least at the beginning, that baby's totally dependent on you and it needs you for absolutely everything. Mm. Slowly, slowly, you can start to withdraw that and maybe, you know, start to try and fit the baby into the routine. But um, the baby hasn't read that rule book and it's unlikely mm. without quite a lot of distress that they're going to fit straight into mm. a routine. Um yeah, so you're helping parents to figure out, I guess, what they need in parenting and also what they value in parenting so that they can figure out sort of what bits of each approach to take. Yes, I think that's a very nice way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to consider a number of questions in order to help them to decide where they might position themselves. And some of these will relate to emotional factors, such as how in control they need to feel. Mm. Um, and some will relate to practical factors, such as how soon will the parents be going back to work. Mm. So then to return to the question of whether we've got a particular approach, we're going to emphasize that there's an enormous amount of information out there that there's an enormous amount of pressure on parents to get it right, mm. which I think is difficult. Um, and also that parenting can be something that um, we just do unconsciously. Mm. If we don't think about it beforehand, um, that may be fine, but it also might not be. If there, if there are patterns from your own life that you don't want to repeat, then what you've got to do is think about it and make it conscious and make a conscious effort to do things a little bit differently. Mm. And so if we've got any approach... The approach is really that we try to encourage parents to be thoughtful mm. and to think about what's going on 
and to reflect on what's happening rather than just respond in the moment. Mm. And then they'll be able to be good enough parents, not perfect parents because there's no such thing. Mm. But we think that good enough parents are ones who have the capacity to think about their needs, what the baby might need, and how to respond in any given situation. And then when parents can read an emotional state in a baby, they can help to regulate the baby's emotional state. Mm. And eventually, when they've done this countless times, over and over again, the baby begins to learn to regulate their own emotions and to soothe themselves. And the parent might not always know. You know, even if you've got a niggly or very distressed baby and you yourself are puzzled, um, you can still be mirroring that and saying to the baby, what's going on? I wonder what's wrong. I wonder why you're so upset today. Let's work it out. Let's try this. You know, you not getting distressed, you talking in a calm voice to that baby. And eventually both of you will work it out. Yeah, so you're helping parents to realize that they will make mistakes. Absolutely. And that mistakes are okay and you can just think back over them and improve for future and also learn from from what didn't work and what did work. Yes. To to figure yes. it out better in the future. Yeah. Yes. And that brings to mind another set of concepts that we'll also be speaking about, mm. which is the idea of rupture and repair. Mm. Because in all human relationships, there are ruptures, which means that we don't necessarily intuit what the person's trying to say, or we just don't get it. And that's very normal. But you can realize that that's happened, and then you can try and repair it. Mm -hmm. And I think those ruptures and repairs are going on between um, parents and their babies and children and adults mm -hmm. all the time. And in fact, um, parents can be too good. There is such a thing as a too good parent. Mm -hmm. And that's a parent who's always trying to kind of meet the baby's need before the baby's expressed the need. Mm -hmm. um, so this whole process of working it out and rupturing and we're not talking about major ruptures here, mm. although even major ruptures, you know, can be repaired over time. But in, in a kind of good enough relationship between parent and baby, there are little ruptures and the parent thinks, Oh, okay, didn't quite get that. Let's fix that. Let's put that right. And the baby and the child are also learning from that process. Yeah, that's a really important, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. It's sort of like you wouldn't really expect a husband and wife, for example, never to have had a fight. Absolutely. Or never to have a day where they, they didn't feel that positively towards each other. In fact, you'd be a bit worried about yeah. it because, you know, that couple might end up in a therapist's office 20 years down the line mm. with a whole host of issues that have never, you know, been brought to the surface. Yeah, that's right. And I guess, yeah, in, in a way we sort of idealistically sort of hope for this magical relationship with our children that will just always be wonderful. But yes, I guess yeah. realising that it's not going to be. It's, no, no. It's like any relationship, it will rupture Absolutely. and we can repair it it's not the end of the world when it ruptures yes yeah yes exactly and that yeah. there's learning to be done mm. from the repair yeah that's right and yeah. and the repair strengthens the relationship mm. yeah yeah that's a really important message i hadn't thought of that before mm. 
So becoming a parent is such a massive change in so many areas of life. So what topics will you be covering at your workshop? Like how do you prepare for people for such a big change? Okay, well, in terms of the topics, a lot of them I've mentioned already, but um, the ones that we're going to focus on are some insights into how to meet the emotional needs of babies and, and young children, then an idea of what parents can expect to go through as they adjust to parenthood, mm-hmm. an understanding of how their own upbringing might affect the type of parent that they'll be, We want to give some pointers on how to recognize when postnatal adjustment becomes depression and how to address this. Mm. Some insights on what dads can expect when the baby arrives. Some input on how to navigate the minefield of recommendations from well-meaning relatives and the media. And then tools to help um, the couple discuss how the baby might affect their life, from sex to socialising, careers, income, and sharing of chores. And I've said the couple, and I've been focusing a lot on the couple, you know, if if there is a couple that's going to be bringing up this baby, we really would love it if both members came. But Mm -hmm. if someone is going to be doing single parenting, then they're also very welcome Mm -hmm. to come to the workshop, and we'll find a way of um, facilitating them and facilitating them having discussions with others Mm. and so on. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds really interesting. I wish it was around when I was (laughs) (laughs) pregnant with my first. So what's the empirical basis for the program? You sort of touched on it a bit. Well, I think what I said about the early years being so important definitely provides one of the um, main empirical bases of the um, program. The other thing is figures that um, we looked up relating to postnatal depression. And um, these figures are from the Perinatal Depression and Anxiety Australia Panda, which is a wonderful resource for people. And the figures are quite worryingly high. Mm. One in seven new mothers and one in 10 new fathers experience Mm. postnatal depression. And interestingly, one of the risk factors for postnatal depression is listed as not having realistic expectations. Mm. And so what we're hoping to do is to get parents to talk about what they expect and how they might um, be able to deal with the challenges ahead. Mm. Yeah, I remember it coming as a big shock. Somehow it's, you know, things that I, I tried to think about. But I just didn't know what to think about beforehand. It yes. would have been really helpful to have known yes. what I needed to think about. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so you've emphasised that it's for dads to be too. Could you talk a bit about the importance of dads? And Sure. I think the role of fathers is changing, which is wonderful. Fathers are becoming so much more involved in bringing up children Um, I think that, in a way, has got its own difficulties for them because they weren't necessarily socialised in that way and they might not necessarily have had dads as role models Mm -hmm. um, who kind of role model to them what's expected of them now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, social roles for fathers in the family are changing and attitudes towards fatherhood and masculinity are changing 
But unfortunately, I think men are still less likely to talk about how they feel. And it's still very important um, to men that they seem like they're coping. So, you know, they wouldn't necessarily speak about vulnerabilities or when things are going wrong. I think that the pregnancy is a difficult time for men. It actually appears to often be the most stressful period for men in the transition to fatherhood. And this might be because of the changes in his partner's body, um, how supported and included he feels, and then concern about the impending changes in his life. Um, feelings of uncertainty about his role in caring for his partner. And then, of course, he'll be worried about extra responsibilities, the financial burden, and managing the stress of work. Some men might feel excluded from their parenting role or from the relationship with a partner, and they might resent the baby for this. So there are a whole lot of things that, you know, might affect dads to be in particular. Mm-hmm. And we want to, you know, start talking about some of those things. Yeah. And that postnatal depression score for men was surprisingly high. One in, one yes, in 10. Yes. One in 10. Yeah. That's right. Um, it comes as a surprise. You know, I think mm. it's quite well known now that women, um, experience postnatal depression, but, um, you know, I think often when a couple say with a baby that's not managing to sleep ends up at a clinic or whatever, they'll get both parents to take a questionnaire to try and determine if there is postnatal mm-hmm. depression going on. Yes, and it's very often that the man shows up, you know, with scores as high as the woman, mm. but maybe hasn't talked about it as yeah. much. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily show in the same way, I guess, for men. As no, well. it doesn't. You know, it's it's often less likely to show as being down or kind of being anxious. It comes out in somatic ways, like tiredness or headaches or pain. Um, but often it, it it involves being quite irritable or mm. angry. And also it often involves being withdrawn. So mm. withdrawing from intimate relations that relationships and from the family, friends and community life. And men can sometimes withdraw legitimately in a sense because they're Mm. working and there might be more pressure on them to work. But there's something else going on. It's not just that they need to be working hard. Mm. I guess, yeah, there's it's very easy to come home or, you know, feel like you need to be home for the mother if you're not working, I guess. For, for the man, which could also add to the social withdrawal. Yes, yes, that's right. Mm. So what practical tips might you have for my listeners if they're expecting? Mm-hmm. I think this also applies to if they have children already. Mm. Um, and maybe I can just say here as well that we've actually had quite a few queries from um, parents who have already got a little one. Mm. And obviously this workshop wouldn't apply to them. Um, we wanted, you know, to get parents beforehand and also logistically um, once you've had a baby, you're not going to have the luxury of a whole day. Mm. Although we could think about changing that and doing workshops slightly differently. So if there are people who are listening who've sort of like the sound of what we're saying, but already have young ones, please just contact us and we can sort of bear that in mind um, yeah. for future workshops. I have heard of um, some, like they've 
mummy conferences or something where the babies do come along. Yes. So it's likely to be quite <laughs> yes. a noisy and active room. But yes, yes. <laughs> no, I'm sure that yeah. could work. Yeah, yes. especially with the very young ones that sleep a lot. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one would maybe just do it for a bit less time or something. Mm. Um, okay, so in terms of practical tips, I mean, I think I've probably already indicated that there's so much out there. Mm. Um, I think there's no shortage of these practical tips around. And, of course, if you've got a particular question, you will go and Google it. And, you know, probably there'll be a bit of good practical advice for that mm. particular issue. But in general, the main thing that we want to put across is that you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to be a good enough parent. And it's important to bear that in mind. And it's important then that you're aiming to be good enough and what you really need to do is just trust and listen to yourself rather than throw yourself into what others think are best for you and for your new family. And just trust in your capacity, as I said earlier, to be able to listen to your baby and read the baby's signals and work out if you kind of stay in a mindful, calm space just to be able to work out what's going to work, what's not going to work. Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately no one can actually tell you the best way to parent your baby. In terms of a conversation with your partner, I think just keep on talking, um, you know, about your fears and your hopes and your dreams, about your mm -hmm. values, about what you're trying to achieve with with the parenting. Um and then, of course, talking about how you're going to share out the tasks and the chores and that sort of thing. Mm. And then there is one phrase which I think is particularly useful, mm. um, which is when you feel that others have something unhelpful to say about what you're doing, mm. the phrase is, this is what works for us. Mm. And you actually don't have to say anything more than, this is what works for us. Um, you don't have to explain, you don't have to say, you know, you might do it differently or justified in any way. If you have been thoughtful and you've worked that out, or even if you just some way towards working it out, mm. you can just say, this is what works for us. Thanks very much. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I know. I, I think that was another thing that came as a shock was it didn't seem to matter what I did there would be someone who thought doing that was not the right thing with a baby. Absolutely. Everyone's got their five cents worth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so I think it, it could be really helpful coming to a workshop like this to even, even if only to figure out your position so that you can fairly confidently say, this is what works for us. Yes. We've thought about it. This yes. is what works for us. Yes. Yeah. And if you want to take advice, then choose where you're going to take your advice. You know, don't take it from everybody because that's absolutely right. Everybody is going to have something to say. Mm. But that's what worked for them with their baby. That's right. It's really not necessarily what's going to work for you and your baby. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds really good. Can you tell us a bit more about when it is, where it is, that sort of thing? And Okay. Our workshop is on the 6th of August. And it's in Crow's Nest. It's at the community centre there. We wanted to make it quite central so that people could come from all over. Mm. 
And um, I presume you'll give the website details. I will, yes. Yeah, I will. Yeah, they'll be in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, couples are welcome. Single parents are welcome. Um, We hope to make it as non-threatening as possible. So we'll be imparting some knowledge. We'll be giving a you know a few tips. but then we'll be starting conversations and we'll encourage you to start conversations with your partner um, or with you know other members of the workshop. But let me also say that if that sounds at all threatening to you, you don't have to share anything if you don't want to. So yeah. we're really aiming to make it a safe space. If you want to contribute, you can. If you just want to keep your thoughts to yourself, that's also absolutely fine. So there's going to be no pressure on anybody to be anything in particular on the day. Wonderful. Yeah, that sounds really good. You can find the show notes for this episode with all links, including the link to the workshop at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash mum to be. So that's forward slash M-U-M-T-O-B-E.